0: You're in the middle of a trial, the thing you need most is a word from God. Because if you have a word from God, you can handle anything. James, as we're studying this series, Faith That Works, is talking to us about words. Words that we say to others, words that we should say to ourselves, and then words that God says to us. And James knew a lot about words because James was the half-brother of Jesus. How would you like to be the half-brother of Jesus? How would you like to have your brother being God? (laughs) That could not have gone well for him. So he's talking to us about trials, and you know, your brother's God, you give your life for the church, And then actually you lose your life for the church. That's James's reality. So he's not a distant observer to trials and pain and suffering. He is an active participant. And what James says right off the bat, and this is what Pastor Adam taught us, that trials come and they surprise us. It's like, boom, they're right there. And you weren't ready for it. You weren't prepared for it. There was no strategic plan. It just happens to you. And when that happens to you, James says in the text that we're gonna look at, you're going to experience anger. There's gonna be some emotions that come up in you. James 1.19 says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to what? For the anger of man does not produce the justice or the righteousness of God. Now James is transitioning here in verse 19, He starts off with what's called an imperative. He says, I want you to know this. In other words, he's going from some general principles and he's gonna gonna get kind of preachy. He's gonna get kind of focused. Now, he's gonna be very directive. And this is okay because we're in the genre of the Bible called wisdom literature. That's what James is. James is the New Testament version of the book of Proverbs. And if you're new with your Bible, the book of Proverbs, the book of James, is a great place to start to read. And James is in good, like, uh, you know, historical wisdom literature genre. He's telling us some very clear things about how we can live wisely, which is the whole point of wisdom literature. How do you actually live in a wise way? And he's telling us his first bit of wisdom is listen, you've got all kinds of stuff going on around you, don't focus on it. You got all hell breaking loose around you. Don't give your attention to it. Instead, he says, I want you to pay attention to what's going on inside you. Pay attention, because when you go through a trial, you have questions, and the question is very simple. It's one word, why? Why this, why me, why now, but most of all, why God are you doing this? And when we start asking why God, this is where the anger comes. Because we don't understand what he's doing. And so we're angry about it. I remember sitting with my counselor. And the counselor said, why are you so angry? And I said, who's angry? I'm not angry. Why'd you ask me if I'm angry? Are you angry? I mean, and I'm like, oh, there's something going on there. Why are you so angry? See, anger, anger is confusing, isn't it? I mean, anger... It's a natural emotion, but it's also a grievous sin. and we see this in a book in the New Testament uh, called Ephesians. Uh, the writer says, uh, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. So, is it possible to be angry and sin? Yes. Is it possible to be angry and not sin? Yes. So, what do we do with that? Well, the Bible nuances this whole discussion of anger. It speaks against blowing up, exploding in anger. It speaks against shutting down and suppressing our anger. But it speaks for looking in and slowing our anger. The Bible speaks of the virtue of slowed anger. What James is saying is, trials come, be slow about your anger, be slow about your anger. Now, I think in his mind, I might be wrong, he's thinking of an Old Testament passage because James is big Old Testament guy and there was a passage where God showed himself to Moses, showed him his glories, and and Moses hears God say these words and records them in Exodus 34, six. The Lord says, the Lord, this is who I am, God says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, and then what does it say, church? Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, slow to anger. Now this is one of my favorite Hebrew words of all time. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The word for slow to anger is literally the word long of nose. Long of nose. Now why would that be? Well, in the Hebrew understanding of anger it started right here like in the pit of your stomach. And then the more anger you get the more it comes up and it gets into your neck, and maybe the veins start sticking out of your neck, and maybe the, the redness starts to appear on your face, and then when you're really angry, what happens to your nostrils? <laughs> they flare. God has a long nose. It takes him a long time to get angry, and James says, that's what we do with our anger. We grow our nose and we take a long time and we slow our anger. So he's telling us really, this is the context of chapter one, he's telling us how to suffer well. He's telling us how to deal with our emotions when we're suffering and he he basically says four things. He says you need to listen, you need to speak, you need to receive, and you need to apply. You need to listen, you need to speak, you need to receive, and you need to apply. Let's talk about listening. We must listen for God in our emotions and speak God's word to our emotions. Look in your outline, in your message outline that you got. He says, I want you to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Now, this is harder than it sounds. Quick to hear. Now remember, he's saying all hell is breaking loose in your emotional life. There, and when you know, you know this, when, when, when your emotions are talking, They're not quiet. They're pretty loud. And he's saying, in the middle of that, you need to attune your ear to heaven and listen to God when all hell is breaking loose. That's not typically how I think about what I think about listening to God. I think more about what I experienced this last week. By God's grace and blessing, I got to spend some time in this mountain cabin on a writing retreat, and it was amazing. I think we have some pictures. I mean, this place was ridiculous. That was my office. My office is better than your office. You see that? (laughs) It was amazing, just simply amazing. And I'm there, and I'm thinking, and God is speaking to me. I wrote this sermon there, finishing this book. It was awesome, But, but in my mind, I think that's where God speaks, on the mountaintop. That's where God speaks. I had this transcendent, transcendent experience in a beautiful environment. That's where God speaks. James says, yes, but he also speaks in the pain. He also speaks through your emotions. Pay attention to what's going on inside you. Be quick to hear. See, when trials come, here's what happens. It exposes things. It exposes what we believe about God. It also exposes our unprocessed emotions. Um, you say, well, what are emotions? Well, there's all kinds of debate about this. But I found these on the internet, so it must be true. <laughs> Actually not, I've done some research. There's a lot of debate, but, but very few argue that these are six, some, some increase the list, what are called primary emotions. Primitive emotions are like, fear, shame, and guilt, but these are what are called primary emotions, here they are, joy is one. So this is that feeling you just get, it's just like, I'm glad to be alive, this is awesome, God's good, wow, I get to be here, that's joy. There's anger, which is this feeling of of displeasure at perceived injustice, you know, just kinda comes. There's fear, I don't know what the future is, I don't know if I'm secure right now, I don't know if I'm safe, right? there's sadness. There's uh, things are not right in this world. This is not the way it should be. This is bad. There's disgust, that the thing that just goes, Ugh, I hate that. That's awful. There's surprise, which just is literally like what it sounds like wow, I didn't think that was gonna happen. All of those just happen, they're involuntary. Now, sometimes these emotions just kind of creep up on you. You're just minding your own business. And they just walk in. And so some of us, when an emotion like anger comes in, we just kind of go, I don't like anger. See, if you look at that list of emotions, go ahead and bring that back up again, guys. If you look at that list of emotions, you have friends and enemies on that list. Friends being the ones you like. Like I'm really good at anger, for instance, horrible at sadness. So sadness is an enemy, I avoid it. Some of you do that with anger, you just kind of avoid it. You ignore it, it's not there. Just ignore it. Or you avoid it. You see it, you're like, no thank you, and you just kind of go around it. But what we're supposed to do with our emotions, this is what James is saying is, you actually want to validate I'm feeling angry and you actually in some sense want to embrace your anger. But you don't wanna stay in your anger, you wanna move through your anger so that then you can tell anger, I'm done with you for now, right? That's what we do with emotions. And when we embrace them, validate them, experience them, we can hear God in them. Did you just hear what I said? When we embrace, acknowledge, validate those emotions, then we can hear God in them, and then they're not bad guys, they're not enemies. And we can do that with all of those emotions, even the ones that scare you to death. And the lie is, if I get in there, anger, if I get in there, sadness, if I get in there, fear, I'm not getting out, right? So I don't want, that's me with sadness. If I go in sadness, I'm gonna be in the fetal position for three months crying. So I'm not gonna do that. But Jesus experienced all these emotions. We're good at, we're good at following the deity of Jesus, right? God, Jesus. We're not so good at following the human Jesus, but he was human. You know what, he experienced all those emotions. He didn't ignore them, he didn't avoid them, he went through them. James says, you're angry, acknowledge it, enter into it, and move through it. Because unprocessed emotions are the soil that sin grows in. You look at verse 21, he names all kinds of crazy sins. He's like, wickedness, and he just ran, he gives like the big umbrella categories of all that is sinful, like, here are, the big, here are the big categories. And right after saying, don't let anger rule you, what is he saying? Unprocessed emotions are the soil that sin grows in. So deal with that, be quick to listen. But then he says, be slow to speak. Now, I don't know about you guys, I, when I hear that, I'm like, well, who's he talking about? Who's he speaking to? I'm the subject, who's the object? Could it be people? Be slow to speak to people. Certainly could be that. Could it be God? Be slow to speak to God. Don't like go popping off. I don't know. I mean, maybe, but I found even when I speak to God or I speak to people, you know who I talk to first? Me. I have conversations with myself all the time. Any of you guys do that? Talk to yourself? Anybody ever catch you talking to yourself? We do it. All the time. My, fan, my friend Paul, Paul Tripp wrote a blog post years ago that I saved, I've never forgotten. He's not in any of his books, he's an author, but this is the best thing I've ever read. He says this, he says, um, you talk to yourself all the time. In fact, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You're in an unending conversation with yourself. You're talking all the time. You're interpreting, you're organizing, you're analyzing what's going on inside you and around you. You're constantly involved in an internal converse- conversation that dramatically influences the decisions you make and the ways in which you relate. What do you regularly tell yourself? What do you say about God? What do you say about your circumstances? Do your words that you speak to yourself encourage faith and hope and courage or doubt? and discouragement, and fear? Do you remind yourself that God is near, that he's a friend, that he's closer than your skin, or do you reason within yourself, given your circumstances, that he must be distant? Do you encourage yourself to run to God, or do you run from God? No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do slow to speak slow to speak what we tell ourselves matters what we tells what we tell ourselves forms our character what we tell ourselves in some sense predicts our future and so what james is saying is you have something outside of your circumstances you have something, you have a word about your circumstance, you have a word about yourself. Slow to speak about what's going on in here, but quick to listen to what God is saying about what's going on in you. So, back in the day, I used to do weddings all the time. We did, you know, tur- bigger churches are like this almost a wedding a week, right, from people in the church. So I've done, I don't know how many weddings, how many hours of premarital counseling, but my favorite couple of all time, and I'm sorry if you're watching this, and I married you, I'm sure it was wonderful. Um, <laughs> but not like these two. Gary and Carrie are awesome. Okay, there's Gary and Carrie. Now, now they're awesome for a thousand reasons. We're still friends to this day. Um, uh, but Gary was a mentor at a hospital at a transplant center where Carrie had just gotten a double lung transplant. Uh, Carrie suffers from a d- disease called cystic fibrosis. And I was very attuned to that because my cousin, who's more like my brother, also had the disease, also had a double lung transplant. So cystic fibrosis t- uh, patients have to do that because, uh, because of various factors of the disease that destroys their lungs. So she had gotten a transplant And Gary was a mentor. Now what qualified Gary to be a mentor, Gary three years before that had a double lung transplant. So Gary's mentoring Carrie. (laughs) And they fall in love. And I do their ceremony. Now what's awesome is Carrie uh, lungs were from a donor that was a male. Gary's donor was a female. So they like to say every time they go out to eat, it's a double date. (laughs) It's the best joke ever. When you get an organ inside your body, you know what the doctors do? They watch you. And that, their, their question is this, with medication, with knowledge, it, is your body going to accept it or what? Reject it. Are you going to accept what's in you or are you going to reject what's in you? This is what James is talking about. Now, not just James, but the whole Bible. God's Word is not just an external scroll. It's an internal reality. First Thessalonians says it this way, when you, talking to the church, when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not just as the Word of men, but what it really is. The Word of God, which is at work, where, church? In you. Paul says in in Colossians chapter three, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Second point, we must receive what God's word is doing in us. This is what James is talking about in verse 21. He says, receive, kind of some clunky language, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So what he's saying is God's word's on the outside but God's word's also on the inside. You got external, you got internal. And you're supposed to receive it with meekness. Now here's what I think that means. I think he's saying this internal implanted word, it's like a picture of a seed, probably a reference to the Holy Spirit, probably a reference to somehow what God does when we believe in Jesus. He gives us somehow, but it says the law is written on our heart And a few scriptures. There's something that happens internally And so he's saying, it's in you now. Are you going to cooperate internally? We're gonna get to the external stuff. Are you gonna cooperate internally, meaning this is about your attitude, not just your action. Will you cooperate with what God is doing in you, what God is saying to you, in you? You receive it, and then you do it. You hear, and then you apply. We listen, we speak, and now we apply. So that's what verse 22 is about. Very popular verse, we've heard it before. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, right? Deceiving ourselves. Doers, okay, in context, what what did we just read? Our whole being moving towards God. Our mind, our will, and our emotions. That's what it means to be a doer. Fully engaged, fully responding to God's truth. The deception is, because he says, you, you deceive yourself, the deception is that we can hear God's word and not do it. That we think hearing is enough. This is hard, church folk, because we hear at this church some great word through music, through the arts, through preaching, and the deception is, if I hear it, I'm okay. And James says, no, 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 no. If you're not doing the truth, you don't really know the truth. And it's kind of nonsensical, and he, uses, he goes from a agricultural metaphor, metaphor to a, um, a, an appearance metaphor. In verse 23, he says, if anyone's a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, and forgets. I love this. See, the Word is a mirror. The Word reflects back who God is. The Word tells us who God is. We would not know who God is if he had not disclosed himself in this book. We wouldn't know. We'd have some ideas, but we have a full understanding of who God is as far as depends on us to walk with him and know him. We can't possibly understand all of who he is, but we can know his character, who he is. We can know his will, what he wants. We can know his ways, how he works. But that's not all the Bible reflects. The Bible doesn't tell us who God is, just who God is, it tells us who we are. That I'm loved, that I'm forgiven, that I'm accepted. That God bases his relationship with me not on my performance, but on Jesus's performance. That Jesus lived the perfect life so I don't have to. That Jesus died a brutal death so I don't have to. That Jesus rose again so I don't have to try to empower myself. That I'm loved in spite of myself, but I'm dearly loved and forgiven forever. That's what the Bible says about you. You say, well, I'm a sinner and I'm a struggler. That's not what God says. God says you're a saint who struggles. You're a saint who sins. So, so, so if you're not getting that, guess what you're not doing? You know what you're not doing? You're not holding up the mirror. It's a mirror. See, when you look at a mirror, there's some things about that mirror that help you. There's some things about that mirror that may hurt you, but there's some things about the mirror that help you. A mirror is about ch- checking the condition of your face. The Word is about checking the condition of your soul. It shows you things. And what we're supposed to do is to let Scripture examine us just like the mirror examines us. But what we settle for a lot of time is examining Scripture. It'd be like if I looked at this mirror and I went, I don't really like the design. I don't like that color. It swivels way too much. I don't know, what do you think? Let's talk about it for an hour. That's most Bible studies. Well, I don't know, what do you think? Is that passage talking about Trump? Is that talking about, what's that talking about? You think we've we'll got the Gamecocks in there anywhere? Can we talk about how does that apply? I mean, now listen, I'm all about, like, let's bring contemporary issues, and the Bible speaks to all that. But we're, it's not really about examining the scriptures about the scripture examining us that's what the mirror does and that's the analogy so i i know exactly how long it took those of you who looked at a mirror today i don't i know how i know how long you looked at it you know how you know you know how long you looked at it as long as it took right as long as it took Some of you looked longer than others. Some of you changed outfits. Some of you changed mirrors, hoping for a better result. (laughs) This is my problem. See, when you look at the mirror, you're trying to gain reality, right? Now, What's weird is the first century mirror was not the 21st century mirror. We get a pretty accurate feel of, of the way we look. In the, 20, in the first century, it was polished metal. Did you guys ever used to go, old enough to go to like hometown carnivals? They, you know, Maybe they still do that in little towns. And they would have the funny mirrors. This was like a first century mirror. Because you just kinda had, to, you know in the funny mirror you're kinda moving around to so see, you kinda had to get, same thing with the first century mirror. So, so, so y- you had to look at it, you had to stare at it, you had to focus on it, so that you could see the makeup on that blemish, you know, the, the, the hair that needed to be put down here, the, the, the nostril that needed to be dealt with here. Like you had to like, you had to focus See, a mirror is a a metaphor for seeing clearly and acting accordingly, which means we got to apply God's word specifically, specifically. See, here's the thing. You you, You take this mirror, and the longer you look at it, the more compelled you are to obey it. The quick glance is, okay, we're good, all right. And sometimes we have to do that because we don't have time, enough money, right? We're just like, all right, good enough for who it's for, like we're done. But the longer you look at it, right, the more you, the more you want to obey what it's telling you. Physically, you would never see something amiss. Most of us would. We'd see something and go, I don't, that doesn't matter, you know? Society, shishmiety, I don't care. I don't care what they think of me. I'm just gonna, who cares? If you see it, you're gonna address it. And James is saying, same way spiritually. If you see it, you're gonna address it. And you're not gonna address it generally. You can't just go, well, my hair's out of place here and then start just messing with everything else and not mess with that. You gotta address it specifically. When I cut my hair this short, I get this little calic and it's like now I'm really insecure, I didn't bring this up in the other services. But I'm like, does anybody have any moose, or not moose, that was from the 80s, but like forming cream or some kind of paste on them, just throw it up here, no, don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> but if I see this specifically, I can't just generally, you get what I'm saying? So you have to like be specific. This is what we do with God. Let's say we did Katie's Love Week, right? Walters talk about Love Week and how we, you know, had had a great week of celebrating Valentine's Day, and so you do that. We're going to do Love Week. We're going to talk about love. We're going to put verses and hearts and cakes that say love. We're going to do the whole thing. So God, I want you to make me loving. Then we go to work, and our boss is there, and he is the jerk that he always is, and she is demanding as she always is and we are gossipy and complaining as we always are. But it's love week. See, we applied love generally, but not specifically. You have to apply it specifically. General obedience is usually disobedience. If you try to apply the truth generally, you can never fail. But if you do it specifically, you can, which then makes you come to God and say, help me. This is what he's talking about in verse 25. Let me get hopeful real quick. And I'm like, oh man, this is a downer. Stay with me. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now I love this verse because it says, the one who looks intently, this is the word to stoop down. Get Get a really good look. Not a quick glance, a hard stare, a focused attention. You look, what he's saying is take the mirror with you. Just take it with you all the time. I literally used to take my Bible with me all the time. I first became a Christian, I was so excited about the Bible, before we had phones with Bibles on them, right? By the way, you know you can get your Bible on the phone, right? I don't have time to read my Bible. You got time to surf Instagram and do. you got time. It's right there, it's real easy. Um, so I used to take my Bible. One day my mentor was like, dude, what, what's on your Bible? I'm like, ketchup, mustard, pickle juice, Diet Coke. And he kind of challenged me because he said, listen, I'm glad you bring your Bible. A lot of people probably think you're weird, but that's cool too, so, but <clears throat> did you know that you can hide God's word in your heart? And he showed me that verse in Psalm 119, 11. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Did you know you can memorize? Did you know you can meditate? And I knew that, but the way he said it helped me see that I need to be very specific. And it's good to have, but it's also good to meditate, memorize, chew on it, think about it. And friends, when we do this, he says, if you look that way at it, you get to experience something that most human beings do not. Most human beings think, if I do what God says, my life is gonna be boring. If I really get serious about my faith, I'm gonna lose my fun. If I really do the God stuff, he's not gonna let me do the me stuff. And James says, oh no, 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 no. When you look into this law, This isn't about a bunch of rules to comply with that erode your passion and your personhood. This is a book that brings you freedom and liberty. I have run, the psalmist says, in the way of your commands because you have set my heart free. This is the most freeing thing you can do in your life. One word will change your marriage. One verse will set the trajectory for your life. Which verse, which word? I don't know. (laughs) You got one of these, go find out. And I love it, the reason it's the law of liberty is because it's not just on the outside, it's on the inside. Probably when he talks about the implanted word, probably when he says, let the word of Christ dwell within you, probably those metaphors are about the Holy Spirit. And somehow the mystical union between the Holy Spirit and us, and the Holy Spirit and this Bible, he inspired. So, the same spirit that lives in you is the same spirit that inspired these writers. There's a story about Hemingway that, you know, he had multiple wives, I believe. One of the wives um, didn't think his books were that impressive. And then she met him. And they said, you never read his books and, you, and then you fell in love with this man? She said, I fell in love with the man and then I fell in love with what he wrote. When you fall in love with the author, when you, when, you, when, when, you, when you get connected to the author, you're gonna love what the author wrote. So friends, you don't go to the Bible. I love the fact that we speak to practical issues. Like if you're new, just know, just know. When you, somebody up here talks, they're gonna talk practically to you. This isn't gonna be, feel like you're in a seminary. You're gonna hear words about for your marriage and your kids and your work relationships and your finances and all the things that touches life, but you need to know this is not a self-help book. This is a book that was given not so that we could impress our friends at Bible Trivia Night. This was a book that was given so that we could meet God so that we could know God, so that we could experience God, so that we could be free in God. So let's take two very very practical things. Many of us deal with, and if we don't, our friend does, anxiety. I had never dealt with this until the last few years. My life imploded like four years ago. And I had never dealt with the kind of uh, debilitating anxiety where it just comes on you for no reason, and just, you're in its grip, man. You don't know, you wanna die. That's, I mean, it, it was that bad. It was awful. And I talked to people for years about anxiety, but I'd never experienced anxiety. So some of us, like me, need, need medication to deal with that. Some of us need counseling. Others of us have kind of a general anxiety about a lot of stuff. We worry a lot, we always go to the worst case scenario right we all so what do you do if there's not chemical issues or what do you do do you just go bad christian stop worrying bad christian just stop it how's that going for you by the way not well cuz it doesn't work what do you have to do to beat anxiety i could give you a lot of verses but let me give you a concept cuz sometimes it's not just verses it's it's the it's the principle or the theology that they teach. If you will, as a person that deals with anxiety, meditate on the sovereignty of God, that God is in control, that God knows the future, that God knows your past and your present, and he's with you and for you, and what's happening to you is actually happening for you. He's at work. He's not surprised. And he's not only in control, he's good. So nothing comes through his into your life that didn't come through his hands and he, does, he has purpose for everything. If you will bask in that, if you will soak in that, you can have some victory over anxiety. But you gotta stare. This is a quick you know, quick fix, man. This is, this is crock pot, not microwave. A lot of us deal with lust. And sometimes that's material. We want a bigger life. We want to be in that neighborhood, the kids in this school. We want to be in that social circle. We wanna have this kind of bank account. right? We wanna, we wanna have, so, so sometimes it's lust for that. Sometimes it's sexual lust where we just, we, we, we have this deep longing and desire and we, and we have a legitimate need. We're trying to meet it in an illegitimate way. How are you gonna beat that? You've got to meditate on the passion of God. Passion beats passion. The passion of lust is only trumped by the passion of God. That he's for you, that he will never for, 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 forget you, that, he, that you're forgiven, that, that he, he, he made you for a bigger purpose and that he's wired you and he's taken your wounds and he's healing them and it's all gonna make sense and, and you get to be a part of that. Like that's the only thing that's gonna beat lust but you gotta stare and see the more you meditate on God's truth, the more you're able to obey and the more you're able to obey, the more you become who God's called you to be and the more you become who God's called you to be, you are free, you are free and that's what all of us want. We wanna be free and freedom is not the right to do what we want, it's the power to do what we should and when we do what God says in God's way with God's strength, That, my friend, is heaven on earth. And that's what's possible. The last two verses mess with me as I was studying this. Pastor Josh said I had to do the whole chapter and he's my boss, and so I said yes. The last two verses don't seem to fit. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religious is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Let's we'll leave those verses up for a second. So he's saying this, I think. A lot of times we think it's my quiet time, it's my time with God, me and Jesus, me and Jesus. And, 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 and James is saying, no, it's we and Jesus, not just me and Jesus. In other words, it's about us, but it's more than about us. In other words, if you're a doer of the word, if you're staring at the word, if you're soaking in the word, it, what, what's gonna happen is it's gonna affect how you talk to people. It's gonna affect how you talk to people. I mean, don't tell me about how great your worship time is if you're ugly with your words to your spouse. Don't tell me about how much you serve at the church when you're unkind with your kids. See, it doesn't, wor- he's saying that's, that's, that's not congruent. And then he says, if, you're, if this thing's really alive in you, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna take care of vulnerable people You're gonna have a heart for the marginalized. Widows and orphans in the first century were the most vulnerable people. They had no one to take care of them except the church. So your eyes are gonna be different when you go out to the store. You're gonna be paying attention to people um, who are not not in your social strata. You're gonna pay attention, right? So. Friends, he's given us his word. He's put his word in us. We listen, we speak, we receive, we apply. We listen, we speak, we receive, we apply. And we get in on the life that we've always wanted. And we get to live wisely in this world. That's the invitation, let's pray. So Lord, thank you that you invite us to more. There is more. It's better than we thought. You're more closer than we thought. You're closer to us than we are to ourselves. And so Lord, I pray that we would feel that right now. Holy Spirit, we we ask for, for your kids right now, would you just bring passion for your word? Let this thought be, what can I learn? How can I know you better? When can I read? When can I get to your word? Father, I love the the, the Jeremiah passage. It said, your words were found and I ate them. And those words became a joy and a delight to my heart. Lord, let your words be a delight to our heart all kinds of wonderful spiritual disciplines, but no saint in history has ever grown and matured without your word. So you've put it in us, you've given it to us. Help us to seek you through it. In Jesus' name, amen.